You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. May the Lord bless you through the screen, through this air. May the Lord make us safe and cleansed in His presence. It is a delight to get to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for the love of God that you have. And I especially want to thank the young people. We're going to, before we jump into the sermon today, I've been asking our young ones to ask whatever questions they want. We know times like this are, can be interesting and challenging for little ones, and I just wanted to see what questions they've got. So let's, let's listen to our first, let's watch our first question here. Mr. Brady, I want to know, does... Does God have magic? Well, thank you, Lily. The question was, does God have magic? Well, I would want to ask Lily if she has magic. And I bet she might have some magic tricks, maybe some cards. And when it comes to magic, right, these are tricks. They're illusions. Maybe they might be a ritual or a charm where you're trying to manipulate people or events to get them to do what you want. So when we think about magic, God doesn't have magic. God has power. God has the power to create, the power to do amazing things. And when we look at magic, uh, God was tempted to play some magic with Jesus to turn stones into bread, to do things that would prove beyond a shadow of doubt His power. So God doesn't use magic. God uses His power. And a lot of times that goes in line with nature, with things as they naturally are. Like we're praying for Debbie Mitchell. We just were mentioning her among many others. Well, we're praying for the doctors and the nurses. We're praying for the knowledge that we have to be used. And that's a part of God's power being used. Now sometimes... God will use power that transcends what we know. And it will seem like magic. But God does not use magic because that's kind of what we do when we try to manipulate things for our own power. Instead, the power of God is pointed to by the things that God does. That's a great question. We have these intelligent, beautiful women. I think we've got another question. Let's see what we've got here. Um, Hi there. So I was just kind of wondering, like, um, most likely, what, what would Jesus have looked like if we went back in time to go see him, you know? Like, while he was still down here, basically. Another great question from Kinsey. Another intelligent question. What would Jesus have looked like? And this is important because sometimes we think Jesus looks like us, or I might think Jesus looks like me. Or in a lot of our Sunday school material, Jesus would be white and blue-eyed. Or sometimes people will joke about the Swedish Jesus where He has this long flowing hair and pale skin. Well, you probably know what Jesus most looked like. Dark skin. Dark hair. Dark eyes. From the Middle East, a man born in Bethlehem in our modern country of Israel he would have looked different than us. Now, he also would have blended in. 
it would have been hard to point him out from another. He was a common man just like everyone else. These are great questions from our kids. I think it's COVID safe to applaud. Can we applaud our kids? Let's pray. God, would you please open up our hearts to your word? Would you please accept us as we are? And would you help us as we try to welcome and receive one another? Help us to show the same grace that you have shown to us. Open our ears that we may hear. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, how are you doing? How are you making it? We have been going through a lot. A lot. We're inundated with many, many things right now. 2020 has been some year. Can you believe that this week we finished six months of 2020? Six months, and four of them we've spent behind screens and sheltered in our home. It's been very different, very difficult. And so I, I want to know how you're doing, and even how you're doing with how you're doing, if you know what I mean, right? What is it that you do? How do you get through these times of crisis? Do you have default practices that you go to? Ways that you jump back and say, all right, well, I'm just going to do this. You know, here, as we've been on these screens, it's not been our default practice. In fact, it's a good chance for us to, to welcome all of our neighbors. We've been having, many of our members are online. In fact, most of our folks are watching online. But we have a lot of new folks, too, that are watching and joining us online. So can we say, hello, neighbors, together? One, two, three. Hello, neighbors. Because we are all in this together as we practice church where we are. But this has been some of the most challenging things that we've gone through. This time of disease, not disease like virus, but dis-ease. A time of unrest, a time of uncertainty has been unlike really anything that we've gone through as a world. Now, yes, I know. We've had world wars. But sometimes information about those world wars doesn't get to us. We're a little bit removed. It's a war that's not on our continent. Yes, I know we've gone through a lot as individuals in the past. We've faced deaths that are challenging. We have faced the loss of a spouse. We have faced lost jobs. We have gone through difficult things together. But something like this, where we're all kind of trying to figure out and make our way through as a world, this is something that's a little bit different from the stunning military service that we've had, from the difficulties that we've spent at the graveside. This has been a little bit different. So what do you always do? What do you default to? Are you the one that goes and finds a, a half gallon of ice cream and say, all right, let's tear into this thing? Are you one that thinks, okay, well, let's get some good music on. Let's get the tunes going, either so that we can be happy or so that we can cry a little bit. Maybe there's some familiar movie that you pop in. Maybe that you just need to veg out. What is it that, that you always do? We all tend to go back to our default response, and so times like this, if you're an extrovert like me, to be locked down in a shutdown is like cutting off arms and limbs. 
It just doesn't feel right, and that's hard. If you're even an introvert, or even if you're someone who's alone because you're no longer married or you've lost your spouse, it can be even more difficult as the sadness weighs in on you and is heavy. So how are you doing with how you're doing? One of the things that I've become very accustomed to is my beloved father will call me out of the blue and he'll say something like this. Well, do you know what you were doing five years ago? Or do you know what you were doing 20 years ago or 30 years ago? And he's been reading in his journal and so he'll talk about something that would have happened in these multiple of five years back. Well, he did that just a couple of days ago. He said, well, Brady, do you know what you were doing 30 years ago? I said, no, Dad, I do not remember. He said, well, you had been hit in your car as a teenager by a motorcyclist behind you. And we didn't know what was going to happen with the insurance. We didn't know if there was going to be a lawsuit. We, we knew there might be some court dates. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. When you're right in the middle of something, you can't see outside of it. It's easy to get stuck. And I think what my dad is doing through doing this for years and years and years is to provide perspective and context to help get us out of even those things that are so important at the moment and look beyond, either to look past at God's faithfulness or to look forward to know that things are going to be different, they're going to be better down the road. So it got my mind spinning about a story that I'll only tell you half of. Back when I was in high school, a lot of my good friends were older. They had all graduated. There was no one in my youth group that was my age. My girlfriend had broken up with me. We talked about getting back together until I figured out that she had already just gone straight back to her other boyfriend. Like, I'm done with that. And I was just feeling this heavy-duty pity party as a teenager. It's kind of funny to think about. And so I just went for a drive. And I parked... In, that, in a Target park, I don't know how I even ended up in a Target parking lot, but I'm just sitting there just pouting, feeling miserable, probably listening to sad music. Have you been there before? What do you always do in those moments? What are the things that you do? Well, I'll tell you what I did is that I stopped. And in a minute, I'll tell you what I did after that, but I stopped and I paused. Today our text comes to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 a letter that I hope is becoming a beloved letter for you, a dear ancient letter from Paul that I have almost felt like Paul has been writing to me. Has it felt that way to you? That these stories and these insights that he's provided to this young church that he's separated from has just really resonated with me. Well, let's look in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. Now let's jump down. We're in verse 16. 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the Spirit, do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now, Paul gets to the end of his letter. You can tell that he's about done because you're seeing the end of the letter in your page. And he provides these bullet points 
of one imperative telling us what to do, one imperative after another imperative. And I, I got to wondering as I looked at this, is he, did he mistakenly put his sermon plan for future sermons in here? Right? Pray always. Uh, abstain from evil. Hold to what's good. It's just like these bullet points, one right after another. And then I started wondering, maybe he's running out of paper. Maybe he's just trying to cram in a bunch of stuff into the end of this letter so that he makes sure to get it in there. But I think this is too beautiful. I think the wording of what he's doing has too much to offer. And he provides for us something that you can always do in uncertain times. Now, always is a pretty ongoing word. There, always, really? You can always do this in uncertain times? In every disaster? In every problem? Yes. What we're finding here is something that can be something of an audible that you go to when things are not going well. So I need your help today. Are you ready? I need your help, whether you're a good student or a bad student, good memory or not, we are going to memorize three verses of Scripture together. And I love doing this. I love memorizing these three verses. And I think we can do it. Are we up for it? To memorize three verses? Here we go. I don't care if you say, oh, I don't have a good memory. I think we're going to do it. First verse, verse 16. Are you ready? Rejoice always. Can we say that? Wow, that's not bad. That's already the first verse memorized. Very well done. Rejoice always. The next one. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Wow, okay. So you've memorized two verses now. This is really good. Uh, the next one's going to push you a little bit. It's going to test the level of how your breath smells today. Are you ready for the third verse? Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, now I just want you to say it in your mind because we probably can't talk that much out loud. Rejoice always, first verse. Pray without ceasing, second verse. Third verse, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Let's look at these. Rejoicing always. Giving our joy to God in any disaster, in any pandemic, in any problem. Yes, that's a good thing for us to hear. Do we make mistakes? Do we suffer problems? Yes, yes. But rejoice always. Find what is joyful even in the difficult times. Now, let me remind you, this is not about circumstances. Do we remember the author of this letter? Beaten up, chased around, run out of town, run out of this town, run out of the next town. It's not about him rejoicing and having good things happening. He is saying rejoicing always. Well, think about what the opposite of rejoicing always is. And see if you're not living there, maybe like me, in these times. Complaining always. Being angry always. Griping always. Regretting something we've said and done always. Beating ourselves up always. 
being blustering, lying, to kind of pretend like we've got it all together. Being bold when actually we're feeling very weak. That's the opposite of rejoicing always. You see, what happens is we get caught up identifying all that's bad, all that is not, all that we don't have, and we're outside of the present. Or else we're just so stuck there that we let it define our sadness, it make us mad, make us depressed, make us angry. Or maybe we think about what once was, and we're just focused in on what we don't have because we've lost something that's in the past, or we want some bygone era, even if it's just the ability to walk around without a mask, or go to a restaurant, we want that back now, right? But Paul doesn't define rejoicing by the circumstances that we're in. I have no doubt that if we were to sit down and you were to tell me, like maybe you've told your friends, something over and over a thousand, thousand times about something that happened to you. A death, a divorce, some abuse, the loss of a job, some difficult thing that you come back to time and time again. I have no doubt that that stinks, that that was a terrible time. But if we just stay in the badness of that moment, we're not looking to find joy. We're not looking to the future. We're not putting our trust in God. Pray without ceasing. Pray nonstop. Have you noticed that these things are like always type things? Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing. Now, this one's a little harder for me. This, this idea of maybe we're already having trouble rejoicing always. Well, maybe if we pulled in prayer and said, okay, I'm going to pray for that thing that I can't rejoice always about. God, I'm having trouble rejoicing always in this. Right? Just start there. That's a part of entering into a relationship with God where prayer can guide us. I find that when I get stymied or when I get stuck, it's because I'm relying upon my own experience, my own knowledge, maybe my own skill. And it's usually for good measure, you know, good training or good skill that we're relying upon and pushing and let's press forward, let's press forward. But there's a time when praying without ceasing pulls us out of ourselves to rely upon the strength of God and not upon our own strength. Now, this does not mean some kind of passivity where I just lay down on the floor and say, man, I hope I find that job. God, I hope you'll raise these kids. I can't do it. Would somebody please pay the bills? Just move my hands. Just move the hands for the check. No, this is not passivity. Praying without ceasing is a very active move. It moves us into a level of trust with God where we're offering the things that we want God to help us with in an ongoing way. We get practice for this all the time. Have you had to deal with annoying people at all? Have you had bad drivers around you? Whining kids, annoying coworkers. There we've just made your prayer list for praying without ceasing. Instead of jumping into the negative and complaining about all these people, they become your prayer requests, offering them to God. Paul ties together these two things of rejoicing always 
praying without ceasing, and then this third one of giving thanks in all circumstances. To me, this ends up being more of a shocker, the all circumstances thanks. I mean, really? In all circumstances? I mean, there's surely attention on all the bad that's in the world. Are we supposed to give thanks for horrific evil? For all the many tragedies that we've seen? Death and wars, unfair housing arrangements, unfair wages, physically violating other people. Are we supposed to somehow give thanks for that? No, no. Evil is evil. right? We're not just putting on rose-colored glasses. But we are taking on the very gaze of God even at that evil. Even at those things that are most frustrating. And we are gazing with God's eye and saying, okay, God, do your thing. So with our gaze fixed, we enter into the workshop of God where God works. This is what God does. He takes evil and He begins to manipulate it and bend it and turn it and point it toward good. Not justifying and smoothing over the evil that's there. No, 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 no. But taking it and saying, what good can be made of this? How can I make this people stronger? How can I strengthen our resolve? How can I make this something that will draw them closer to me? It pulls us out of that moment of where we're just wishing for it to all go away. It pulls us out of just being jealous or angry or wistful. It takes us from being zeroed in on the negative and gives our attention to the work of God. Well, there we've memorized three verses, and in Paul's bullet point sermon, there's one phrase that doesn't seem to fit in. If you look down in verse 19, it says, don't quench the Spirit. Now, I, I, he lost me with his sermon at this point. Don't quench the Spirit. How are these bullet points flowing together? We get a bunch of don'ts. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I've heard don't quench the Spirit, it's usually been along the lines of let me do what I want, let me try something new, let's do something innovative, let's have more free worship. Have you heard don't quench the Spirit used in those ways? I think that's right. I mean, God's doing new things always. Here Paul ties it to prophecy. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets. Ah, okay. Okay. Don't despise the words of the prophets. And I'm, I keep thinking about Paul and his life and wondering, and all the things that he went through, was there a time when he experienced the quenching of the Spirit? When he felt like his Spirit was crushed or when the Holy Spirit of God was crushed? And then I got to thinking about my, myself. You know, one of the times when I despise the words of the prophet? One of the times when I despise uh, you know, don't want to listen to the prophets. Are you there? Are you already ahead of me? It's when I don't like it. It's when I disagree with it. I don't want to rejoice always. I don't want to pray all the time. I don't want to give thanks. That's not me. And here comes Paul. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise the words of the prophet. We know he not only experienced that, but he was a part of it snuffing out the life of Jesus. I don't know if he was at the crucifixion. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. We do know 
he was standing there as the first Christian was killed. And he watched as the breath was squeezed out of Stephen. And he probably felt good about it. Because even as Stephen died, he said, Lord, I see you seated at the right hand of God. Ugh, that kind of blasphemy probably would have flown all over Paul. That's not a prophecy he wants to hear. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, essentially, is what Stephen says, mirroring the very words of Jesus. You think Paul wanted to hear that? Don't you forgive me? Paul has experienced this. He's known what it's like to hear things and experience things about God and in life that don't line up with what we want. And what it takes is hanging in there. As he says, holding on to what's good for dear life. Letting go of what's evil. Don't hang on to the evil. Cling to what is good. Test the spirits. I don't think it's a quiz that he's putting them. I don't think he's checking their temperature, but in some ways he is. Like a judge asking all kinds of questions about something. Before we just despise it and quench it and dismiss it and say, I'm not going to rejoice, I'm not going to give thanks, I'm not going to pray, we listen. We listen to other voices. We welcome other voices to our table. In fact, I was talking with some people earlier this week and say, you know, a lot of times when we're talking with someone that's different from us, we want to tell them how they're different from us before we've even listened to them. Here's a good test. See if you can repeat back to the person what they're saying. Like, ask questions. Make sure you're able to articulate what they believe and what they think. And let them verify it, because they'll probably say, no, 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 it's not that, it's da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And until you can get to the point where you can repeat back to them what their belief is or what their statement is, it's not until that point that you may have an opportunity to share what you think. It may be okay to not share. But once you're able to repeat it back and listen and restate, then you're in a position. Well, it's easy to despise the words of the prophets. It's easy to say, you know, I think I understand, and I'm going to dismiss it. It's much harder to say I'm going to rejoice always. I am going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to give thanks in all circumstances. This kind of non-stop action is what Christians should do. Joy and prayer and thanksgiving. I told you that in that Target parking lot many years ago, something clicked for me, and I decided to stop. To stop it already. To stop whining and pitying myself and to get outside of myself. And so I did something very weird. It was Valentine's Day, right around Valentine's Day. You know, that's, that's the, actually the last holiday that we celebrate in person. We've had spring break and St. Patrick's Day and Mother's Day and Flag Day and Juneteenth. And we've had all these other holidays separate, that's beside the point. So it was Valentine's Day. And I went into Target and I got one of those cheap boxes of kid Valentines. And I began thinking of all those kids in my youth group all the friends that I had, and I just wrote Valentines. Not cheesy ones, but pointing out attributes about those people that I liked. And I just wrote all these cards. And you know what? My demeanor and my mood began to change. 
Because I was no longer focused in on myself. I was focused in on others. And I, I learned something in that moment about stopping and letting go of what's evil and embracing what is good. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for Your servant Paul. We give You thanks that You didn't give up on that sorry guy who was intent on killing and murdering, but You stuck with him and You listened. Would You help us to learn from that? To realize that at times we might be that sorry guy or gal in need of someone to keep listening to us? Would You help us to be the kind of people who can rejoice always? And when people think of us, they think of us first because of our joy and our thanksgiving and our ability to go to You in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Son Jesus who really showed us what all of this looked like. Who really laid down the model for each one of us. And help us to get a better grip, a better grasp on what it means to take our cross and follow You. This is our prayer. Through Jesus who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. And the church says, Amen.